Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is lab. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Engage. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. And with me on the show today, out-nerding all of us, one of my good friends, it's Mr. Miles Griffin! Yay! Miles Griffin, yay! How's it going, Todd? Hey, how are you, man? <laughs> I am doing well. I'm super excited to be here. Oh. I'm super so excited to, to start star trek I'm so glad <laughs> to have you on the show man and like you i think you and gary are the only ones to go ahead and make their background a star trek background i think gary had a planet and some stars and like one of the ships and you you're in the holodeck i'm in the holodeck <laughs> like legit i'm <laughs> i love it i love I'm, it I'm, 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 so we you and i were recently at a a small gathering of of socially distanced friends and yes. everyone started making fun of us because the two of us immediately just started talking star trek <laughs> like <laughs> like I, I hadn't put my stuff down yet i was like hey so are you hey you want to come on the show <laughs> it wasn't even that i already agreed to come on the show i think i think we were just talking star trek oh yeah yeah <laughs> because it, it's interesting because you know, as as many nerds are, that have access to other nerds now, that more mm-hmm. more so than than ever, I feel like at least with even minority friends, not a not a ton of them watch Star Trek that much, or at least not that much anymore. Yeah, I think I think it's because it's kind of well, and this is kind of the the funny thing. I guess nowadays because people are going out less, it's easier to pop in your favorite movie as opposed to start binging a show and watching a bunch of episodes in a row. Right. And this isn't me at all talking about, Oh, well, no one's watching star Trek because there's like four star Trek shows on right now. And they're (laughs) all fantastic. I I think, I think, I think Trek's in probably one of the healthiest positions it's been in, in a very long time. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I think with the success, I think with the success of uh, the Kelvin timeline films and Mm -hmm which clearly the newer stuff is taking a cue uh, from uh, no pun intended cue. Um, I think, I think they're definitely taking a visual cue from, and I think finally CBS Paramount is kind of like, Hey, the nerd culture is the thing now. And we've got the nerd franchise, at least in America. Absolutely. So one of the things that's interesting about Star Trek, because Star Trek has, I, I would consider some of the pickiest fans in, in science fiction. Sure. And that's neither positive nor negative. It just is. Yep. Sometimes visual continuity is more important than things that make sense to people. Mm. So in, in TNG, the technological leap was almost similar to what might have been between the original series and TNG in terms of what you could do on screen. 
Okay. You know, but You're now that we special can, effects wise, special effects and okay. how the ship looks, you know, we're not using cardboard pieces. We're not using just, you know, your whatever you can find around the warehouse. Right. And cobbling something together. Now you can have these fully fleshed out ships and, and things that kind of look like they actually run. Mm-hmm. And I get that that can be jarring for some people like discovery being 10 years before the original series, but looking like it's light years ahead. And yeah, in the theater of my mind, it's storytelling. So in my mind, Kirk and Spock and Bones, they all have this technology. We just couldn't see it. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, and I'll liken it to comics a little bit. It's kind of like, you know, this mid 30s year old man, Bruce Wayne, has been Batman for 80 plus years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Times change, things change, technology changes, but the story goes on. And I think DC recently said, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, The main (laughs) icons don't age at all. Everyone else is fair game. And I was like, (laughs) you know, what, what basically they said continuity exists, but continuity is whatever you want it to be more or less, which, you know what, you tell me a good story and you give me enough context so that I can see where it takes place. I'm fine. Yeah. And that's where I'm with Star Trek. Yeah. All three of these shows have gone all over the place. I mean, Discovery is 10 years before Enterprise. Picard is... 30 years after TNG's last episode, correct? I 25. So, yes. And then Lower Decks, I think, is one year after Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that sounds right. You're all across the gamut of known Star Trek timelines. And with the exception of Lower Decks, which is, you know, an animated comedy, so you can kind of make it look like how you want it to look and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right. I kind of dig it. Even First Contact, the Enterprise looked way more advanced than what we were seeing on TV at the time. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. So I feel like with this show that we're covering today, I think that this show has suffered probably the most abuse from the fandom at Mm -hmm. large than Mm -hmm. anything outside of Nemesis. Yeah, I think so. I feel like if the base elements are there, meaning you got a ship, you got a crew and the prime directive is in place. If you know those three things, you can kind of figure out where they are, what's going on, and where it falls in the timeline. Now, speaking of the timeline, this is episode seven of our podcast, which, hooray, we've made it this far. (laughs) For anyone who is listening, uh, it has been a while since I've said this. So if you're wondering what timeline we are using to plan this show and the episodes that we discuss, you can just Google Star Trek Chronology Project. It's a blog on Blogspot. Some heavy, heavy duty Trekkers have put together the entire chronology. All the TV shows and all the movies. It's all there. Even the animated stuff. They don't incorporate the animated stuff episode by episode, but it's there. That's the basis for which we are discussing things. So if you're curious about what's coming up in the future in terms of what episodes of the franchise we're going to discuss go to star trek chronology project you can google it it's easy to find miles before we get into more details about the episode do you have an earliest star trek memory did it imprint something onto you early on yes that you Um, share (laughs) so in my memory the times and dates might be a little different the local fox affiliate would play tng episodes okay yeah late at night after the news or, or right before the news, because it, it was it was TNG, and then they would show a rerun of Married with Children. Right, and right. I, I used to have a lot of insomnia as a kid, and my evening ritual, because it was five nights a week, 
was being in a top bunk of a bunk bed that I don't know why I had, uh, <laughs> watching uh, my, my little 13-inch TV and being kind of lullaby to sleep by Star Trek. And it was kind of where I started falling in love with that show and with the concept of Star Trek. Because I would have been, Star Trek started in 87, Nick yes, Tingey? I believe that's correct. I consciously remember seeing it about when I was five or six. And where those reruns were fueling from, I don't know. These were on for years. But that is my earliest Star Trek memory is being a kid who couldn't sleep and looking at these space explorers it was something that was unlike anything from my comic books, you know, because it wasn't just whiz, bam, pop action. And it wasn't Star Wars with laser swords and dogfights. Mm -hmm. It was something different. And I didn't understand what connected me to the show at the time. But I, I feel like it was the idea of this optimistic future where people can get over their BS and reach for the stars and try to just be the best things we can be without yeah. sounding too hokey. Yeah. Like that idea just floored me because Star Trek, they, they didn't have money. We, we never found out about any other wars outside of the eugenics war mm -hmm. from the nineties, I think is when it takes place. Yeah. In Star I think Trek. Mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, or if you read the X-Men crossover, it's like when the X-Men exist, um, <laughs> And there was something about that show because it did have action and it did have heroism and romance and, and everything. But Star Trek was this kind of amazing science fiction that gave you a vision of the future that you actively wanted to live in. Anytime anyone asks me, what fictional world do you want to live in? Eight times out of 10, I'm going to say Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. I love Star Wars. That place sounds like the worst place to live in. <laughs> It's it sounds like literal hot garbage all the time. Yeah. Whereas there's something about that vision of the future that I find so inspiring. If we're going to make the comparison directly to Star Wars, outside of the mystics, the mystics being I'll just, you know, give the blanket of Jedi and Sith, not much is different from this world and that. You know, but yeah. I, I but I find that Yes, Star Trek is the vision of the future that Gene Roddenberry had back in the day, but that we're all still striving towards, hopefully. And yeah, it, and it's, I, and it's, I feel it's been like, bleak in recent years. Yeah, yeah, it has. <laughs> but I also feel like Star Trek, with all of its science and basis in history, is actually more philosophical in a lot of places it's there's room there's room to there's as so we as we explore it. outward we are also exploring inward again as hokey yes. as that may sound no i mean that's the cool thing about star trek and star wars too i, I do not participate in the do you like star trek or star wars i love them both exactly yeah me too. i mean i think they're both great i have a jana solo figure somewhere behind me you can't see it because the holodeck is in the way <laughs> but i am a deep deep star wars fan but then also i want to be able to meet this guy it's Morn. Oh, yeah. I have a Morn figure. Uh, you have a Morn figure? I have a Morn figure <laughs> from awesome. Star Trek D Space Nine. Oh, wow. Morn is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so, oh, I, I, if, any, I, if anybody is confused about who Morn is, all you really need to know is he's kind of a badass and he talks less than Silent Bob. Fair? Yes. Yeah. Even though everyone <laughs> says he never shuts up, which is the best <laughs> running joke in Star Trek, period. 
but he was probably my favorite Star Trek character until Beckett Mariner in Lower Decks. I think that Star Trek invites hard science fiction. This is not to say that hard science fiction is in any way better than your softer, high concept science fiction or fantasy, but there is something I find alluring about something based in a realm of reality that we could possibly achieve. Yeah, absolutely. that, like you said, because it seemed to meditate on humanity and what it means to be a sentient being in the universe and its relationship to the universe, I find that aspect of Star Trek so compelling. Mm-hmm. It feels reachable. It that, does. It, you know, in a word. Every time I watch Star Trek, I get this little feeling in my chest, like it's been a while or something, and it's just hope. And Star Trek was always, also always like, because uh, I had those, remember those, uh, next generation VHS tapes that had like one or two episodes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I specifically remember having the one with, with, with uh, the game on it with uh, Ensign Robin Leffler played by Ashley Judd, it, which was uh, formative <laughs> for other reasons uh, for, for, for 11 year old miles. Oh, sure. But, um, yeah. <laughs> right. But to this day, if I'm ever sick, it's a good chicken soup show to watch. I'll just oh, throw on some sure. Star Trek especially if I just need to get to sleep or something. Like it's like being cradled. It's like being swallowed by a wonderful show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, letting it lull you to sleep. I mean, there's a lot of talk nowadays about white noise shows. It doesn't lessen the value of the show. I think it actually elevates it that that show is so important to you that it's what comforts you and lulls you to sleep. You know, the, right. the or if it's season world, one of TNG, it might just do that anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, I think The Office is one. Parks and Rec is another. You know, Frasier. Parks and Rec is definitely one of mine. Yeah. But, Did you, you say know, Fringe? Star- uh, no, Frasier. Oh, Frasier. I was like, Fringe? I don't know. There's too many no. details to be pointing out for that one. <laughs> no, I don't think I'd have Fringe as a white noise <laughs> But I mean, uh, I will put on the Shutter Network and fall asleep sometimes too. So okay. <laughs> that that answers a lot of questions about you, Miles. <laughs> you know, from the other podcasts that we have been on together, that I'm a big horror movie person. So true, true. <laughs> yeah, when my wife and I actually got together, <laughs> one of the white noise movies I used to put on was Dark Man. Oh boy. Yeah. And of course that first scene, if you recall, is the dude getting his fingers cut off with with a cigar cutter and she goes, you sick. (laughs) What the hell is going on? So in the before times, my, my girlfriend would come home from her shift as a bartender. So it'd be late at night and I would have fallen asleep watching something terrible. And I, sometimes I would I would roll over and hit the remote and so it, it would stay paused on usually like the most gruesome scene or some like creature just coming up at the right moment and she's get smacked in the face by that. <laughs> um, oh, but fun. no, I think that Star Trek is a very soothing show. And yes, obviously it has, you know, it's hyperdramatic and- But I also love the term, it's a chicken soup show. Yeah, for me it is. If you want me to feel good, I'll I'll watch some Star Trek. In fact, there was a conversation that you and I had at the aforementioned uh, party Mm -hmm. and where I made the claim that annoys the living hell out of one of my Star Trek friends Mm -hmm. in that I like Search for Spock more than Wrath of Khan. 
and that tends to annoy people, which is something I do like to do sometimes. Boy, I feel like that could be an episode of it in and of itself. <laughs> well, you know what? You should have me come on for Rathacon because I rewatched Rathacon. I mean, let me see if if my feelings change. You want to go ahead and call dibs right now? Yeah. Dibs yeah, have been claimed. Rathacon. What, whenever you wait, get Rath- that. Wait, Rathacon or, or, or two or three? Why not both? Oh, okay. <laughs> Dibs have been called for both. I was very excited when you told me that you were doing this show because you seemed to expect that I was going to be on it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I was like, cool, what's the premise? And you were like, oh, I'm watching it, you know, in chronological order. And I was like, oh, so that means Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And to be completely (laughs) honest and to be completely transparent, Enterprise was a black hole in my Trek viewing. I remember it coming out. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching maybe an episode and feeling, no, that's not for me. And this was at a time where you're a teenager, so you often have more important things to do. And you had to schedule your TV time, which is yep. becoming yep. an alien concept itself. So when, when I saw one episode and didn't really care for it, I was like, I'm not going to carve out my time on this specific day. Maybe I'll come back to it later. Yeah. So I know the show by reputation alone. You're not alone. There's a lot of people like that. So when you asked me to come on in the beginning times of, of this podcast, mm-hmm. and I, cause I always thought I was like, wow, he's starting off with enterprise. That's a bold choice. <laughs> Todd Davis only makes bold choices. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I listened to the episode where you told Justin your rating for Texas Chainsaw Massacre was 1.5, which is Probably one of my favorite moments in that podcast history. If anybody out there is curious, go hit up uh, Cinema Shock. We just finished up The Tragedy of Toby Hooper, a little series of films discussing the career of Toby Hooper. And uh, much to the boy's dismay, I am not a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, Sorry. And th- th- this pulls in a different conversation where we all believe that Todd does not like horror movies, even though he claims that he does. <laughs> But that's a conversation for another day. Exactly. When you asked me to come on the show yeah, and said, you're going to do episode uh, nine, Civilization, I made the conscious decision to watch one through eight before doing this because that's I- That's commitment. You're out nerding us all, sir. My whole thing was, if I'm going to do this, I want to give this show- a proper shot. I've always been a proponent of that kind of thing. I will rewatch something that has been perceived as bad again many times to see if something clicks. It's why I've seen Jason Goes to Hell more times than I care to admit. It's why I've seen (laughs) Star Trek Nemesis more times than I care to admit, because I'm hoping Mm -hmm. there's that one time where it kind of clicks. I'm like, okay, I see what they were trying to do. They failed miserably, but- I see what they were trying to do. I always like to revisit anytime I hear a new theory or a new philosophy behind the, you know, the story behind the story. I always like to watch it. You know, I remember the first time I heard the Ferris Bueller Fight Club theory that Ferris Bueller is actually a part of Cameron's psych. uh, I have, I have, I have heard that. I was like, I cannot wait to get home. I think I was at work somewhere and I was just, I cannot wait to get home and watch Ferris Bueller again. <laughs> and see, those are fun theories. There are some theories that are are fun to talk about, but I just like, no. Like the, <laughs> the, like the John Candy is the devil in Home Alone theory. Uh, like it's fun uh, to talk about, but it, it's not. That's like, interesting it, though. 
it's really funny because the, the main thing was when she said, I will sell my soul to the devil. That's when you see John Candy's head turn. And that's where it kind of like started. And there have been all these elaborate theories about how John Candy is the devil in Home Alone. And, oh, that, and that she actually sells her soul to get home. <laughs> it's fun to it's fun to talk about yeah so speaking of fun things to talk about let's get into this week's recap spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert it began as a mission of mercy people are dying and i can't determine why Tell us what you know. We might be able to help. But became something more personal. There are lots of inhabited planets to see, but I doubt many will be this memorable. An all-new Enterprise. Enterprise locates a planet inhabited by pre-industrial humanoids, but scanners also detect technology which just doesn't belong. Like a Microsoft Zune. Paul's like, we shouldn't go down there. Archer's like, let's go down there. Archer, T'Pol, Tucker, and Hoshi slap on some Halloween makeup and go down to the city of Akali, where the people are all... I feel terrible. Scans lead them to a junk store, but there's a force field. A local apothecary, Rain, gets the drop on them, but T'Pol gets the drop on her. Archer and Tucker go back during the day, posing as antique collectors. You know, like they probably should have to begin with. They confront the shop owner, Garros, asking him why his DNA is an alkali. Then Garros is like, takes one to know one. Garros is from Malur, and the power source is a replicator for food, clothes, and whatnot. Archer tells him about the illness. Garros claims it's a natural phenomenon, but Doc Flock says there's highly toxic poop in the water. Archer and Rain go back at night and try to see what Garros is up to. An Amazon driver leaves the shop with a delivery. Weird, right? He drops off the crate in the woods, and Archer and Rain get attacked. Later in the shop's basement, Archer and Rain find that Garros is mining a special rock that's poisoning the water, too. Yes, might have gotten away with it, too. Wasn't for these blasted kids. Archer orders to Paul to beam up the equipment, but she's like, I have a better idea. Spoiler alert. Remember the scene in Sin City where Clive Owen tosses Benicio del Toro's head to Michael Clark Duncan, but there's a grenade in it? Like that, but it looks more expensive. Archer gives Rain an antidote and bounces, but before he leaves, he tells her the Vulcans will be monitoring them because that's worked out great for the Enterprise so far. Roll end credits. So, sir, did I, uh, did I hit all the, hit all the, uh, hit all the notes? Uh, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> my, minus, minus the the Kirkian romance that Archer gets involved with. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Much it. Weird, yeah, weird kiss in the alley, right? And that's not a euphemism. No, it's 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 <laughs> awkward. It's the lines of consent are very blurred in that scene. Mm, very. <laughs> and then the weird part is he keeps like checking his flip phone. <laughs> like this scene is so. It's already <laughs> awkward. And then it's just like, what is this dude doing? <laughs> um, which which I think about Archer a lot. So the thing about Enterprise, because I know everyone loves to dunk on this show. And I thought, mm. well, maybe I'll be the one person that really sticks up for this show. <laughs> you know, I, I tend to be the, the, the person that everyone accuses. Oh, Mo Miles loves everything. Oh, I got you. And... I think the overarching problem with Enterprise is that I don't feel like anyone really wants to see a time when the humans are much more contemporary to what we have now. Mm -hmm. No one really wants to see how we achieve Roddenberry's utopic universe. Mm -hmm. 
And I also feel like that no one wants to really see a time in Star Trek where the humans in general consistently are much less enlightened than the eras that we currently know, especially being strung along by the Vulcans. The strained relationship between Terrans and Vulcans. Yeah, this whole series, at least so far, has been... The baby steps. This is this is where yeah. this is where we're at. You know, even after a hundred years, we're still kind of working to get there. And I see the resistance immediately for this show. Mm-hmm. Like I get why Star Trek fans don't look kindly upon it, especially then. I also see why some people are are now saying, "Well, it's not that bad." Because for about twenty years, the way that some fans talked about it, you would have thought it made their skin burn. Right. <laughs> Well, I know I've mentioned it before on other episodes, but I feel like there's a strong, oh, Star Trek Enterprise sucks. Really? Have you watched it? Well, no. (laughs) Right. There's a big portion of folks that do that. But honestly, this show does have a lot of weak points, but I think. Sure. I'm struggling to accept that that was the point. Yeah. Well, so here is where I am, because I I think I was telling you this earlier before we started recording is one of the fun things about this show is there is a very specific mid 90s syndicated genre waft about this show. And Mm -hmm. I mean that in the best way, Mm -hmm. like if I had turned this on at 2 a.m. on your local channel 42 or whatever and seen this show, honestly, I probably would have been perfectly fine. I don't think that this is a bad show. It's an ill-advised representative of the Star Trek universe for me, but I don't think it's an era that people really want to see. I don't mind political episodes that mirror things that we are going through right now. Far Beyond the Stars is one of the best episodes of Star Trek. It's the one where Cisco is the 1950s science fiction writer. Yes. Okay. It's beautifully written. It's extremely poignant and it's highly political. But with Enterprise, I, I don't really feel that they're really doing anything more than this awkward relationship between humans and Vulcans that I think we've only kind of really touched on before in terms of the history of the development of Starfleet. Yeah. And I just don't like how it plays out. And so for me, it's not the prequel that I personally would have wanted. I think it is an ill-advised project, but that does not translate to the fact that I think it's a bad show because I don't think it's a bad show. Would Enterprise, and I'll speak of the series as a whole, instead of four seasons of a show, would it have been better as a trilogy of films? It would have been interesting. I would have liked to see what they would have attempted to do. I'm going to out and say I'm not personally interested in the era. Like, okay. like, like I said, I, I may be, I may have been speaking for for people that disagree when I said I don't think anyone's interested in the foundation of Starfleet, mm. it, at least in the way that we're seeing it, because it looks so similar to what we have now, yeah. and. Like seeing seeing the guys in the, the your typical American military uniforms talking to the Vulcans in the, at the beginning of the pilot, I was so. Uh, I liked it when Bones was the only racist. <laughs> <laughs> All 
right, like every human in this show has this i mean i get what, what, what they give you narrative reasons as to why they're wary about the vulcans and stuff but yeah man it's bad yeah uh, it's pretty so, bad so far i think the only person who hasn't really done anything that racist is maybe a hoshi yeah i think so I think she's the only one, and then and then the doc flocks. I think all of the all the other humans are are pretty suspect. Even the captain, who was to me the captain of a of a of a starship, from my experience with Star Trek outside of Lower Decks, mm-hmm. is supposed to have some sort of standard, yeah, moral standard, and and seeing him kind of act a little bit more like if this show, if you take out Starfleet. And you, mm-hmm. you set this show as the beginning of the Firefly universe. Mm. I'm a little bit, I, I can do that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I criticize Trek fans a lot for being sticklers. But with this show, there, there are some things I just do not like it, in for what it means for Star Trek. Mm. But I think separately, as a genre show, it's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you've heard me say on the show so far, my favorite character from this crew is actually Travis Mayweather. I love Travis. Travis is Mayweather. great, dude. Born in space, he was meant to be behind the stick of this of, of this shit. Sa- sadly, called the boomer. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But but no, I mean, he he's he's one of the more compelling humans. He's the one that seems genuinely excited to be there. Yes, he's actually happy to be aboard the ship. Like he, so I wonder about the show's structure if because of what was presented in the pilot that this is essentially Jonathan Archer's father's ship that had they started with Archer as a helmsman. And then at the end of season one, he gets promoted to first officer. And then Admiral Forrest eventually says, okay, you're taking over now. And, you know, let have a, because I feel like this is a lot of, Hey, this is what happens when you put a flyboy in charge of diplomatic relations, you know, because right. That that's he went he went from test pilot to diplomat. And yeah, no wonder it screws things up and no wonder he makes wrong decisions. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think also a lot of people think, forget that. I think the show I know we're talking about the pilot not civilization. Um mm-hmm. but the show goes from little boy archer making a a model to hey guess what you're gonna fly this ship and mm-hmm. I, the the emotional resonance wasn't there so i i do I, I agree with you there should have been some build up to him being the captain now i will also say i think the the cast is fantastic i think the entire cast does a great job doing what their characters are supposed to do mm-hmm. um obviously being in this era there is a alarming amount of humans on the cast mm-hmm. for me yeah I think it's why I love Deep Space Nine so much. It's so diverse and interesting and rich with these characters. And even TNG to a degree, Mm -hmm. you know, at least you had had Worf and Troy Mm -hmm. on the regular. Yeah. And then Voyager, you had a a good motley crew. Very. (laughs) Yeah. Of folks. From from the word go. Yeah. So with this, this particular episode, if it wasn't a Star Trek episode, I would be like, that was cool. Mm. But, but having watched, from episode one and realizing this is their first situation making first contact with a pre-warp civilization 
I think that to Paul says something to where you're supposed to be like, okay, this is where we get some of our first lessons into the prime directive and how we we reach, you know, these rules by basically don't do what he did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think the episode itself is fun. It's a fun little science fiction episode that is a little mystery, little action. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell they've got a lower budget than we're accustomed to. They've basically a bunch of people with, you know, very very easy makeup and Renfair costumes and <laughs> but that's fine again I have a very special place in my heart for that kind of 90s syndicated sci-fi feel on our podcast the more you nerd we literally just finished doing a deep dive into the first season of forever night oh fun so I get the love there and even the theme song the theme song for Enterprise is it you don't have the brass instruments you don't have any of the the arrangements that make you feel like this is Star Trek. And I get that it was on UPN and they, you know, they were trying to go for a little bit of a different demographic to kind of, you know, elongate the life of the franchise because, you know, Nemesis wasn't doing numbers. The other shows were gone. You mm-hmm. just got this one. Yeah. So I really wanted to make an effort to not come on this show and just dunk on enterprise you know <laughs> i feel like that's people's first inclination like you said oh well, enterprise is the worst one have you watched it well not really <laughs> yeah <And> exactly <laughs> i mean there's nothing worse than you know someone having an opinion on something they haven't experienced <laughs> yeah and exactly I've, and I've, I've been guilty of that and then when it's put in my face too. i'm always like all right you know what you're absolutely right yeah you think but, i've never made fun of enterprise you know, you know what fine <laughs> i'll watch sisterhood of the traveling pants you know <laughs> I'll, wa- I'll watch Practical Magic. I have no problem with either of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one of them in the theater. I'll let you guess. Oh, boy. Oh, that's that's going to be a discussion after the show so, for sure. <laughs> but so with, with, with Enterprise, I think what's really cool is I think you do have characters. I, I like this. We do see the early era of space travel. The, the Enterprise doesn't have the best scanners. It has laughable shields. It doesn't yeah. even have... The transporter is still a theoretical thing. And I, I really enjoyed that touch where like, okay, we're going to do this and we're not going to tell them. And right. <laughs> I, I liked that. I thought that was really cool. And it comes back up in the Andorian incident where they use the transporter. And I, I, I like these aspects. If I have to watch a series about the early days of Starfleet in an enterprise that is cobbled together with spit and duct tape, yep. I think it gets a lot of this frontier aspect of the final frontier right. Yeah, I, I think so. I have a lot of problems with where it lies in chronology and, and what it says about the you know, greater universe. But I do like a lot of core things the show attempts to do. Mm. For me, this show is kind of uh, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it I gets so. things right, but you still walk away. And I, that's what I keep talking about with my co-host of The More You Nerd is that if the show wasn't Star Trek, I would have zero problem with it. Let's see. This came out rough. Well, 20 years ago. So at that point, we're well, 40 years worth of Trek history. I think they were a victim of their own success in that next gen was so huge and so iconic right they really wanted to keep that ball rolling after it was done where you see deep space nine come in and voyager come in well once that was done we had you know one more movie and then it was kind of like all right so we're just going to go radio silence no 
guys go make another star trek show we don't care what it is we don't care how you do it just go do it and so i think they got a green light without anybody really stopping to take a look at what they were doing going is this the direction we want our ip to go and again i don't think this was really quite where nerd culture like the Marvel films weren't around yet. The comic book store was still kind of a haven for nerd. Not a lot of people were. It hadn't, it hadn't broken through to, to pop culture at large. Yeah. And I think that coupled together with starting two weeks after 9-11, people were just kind of like yeah. looking for hope. I think this that may have played a factor. That's one of the things about this particular series. There are episodes, even Civilization, actually, where it's there. I don't have that same feeling of hope in this series. It's more of a grunt, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a grunt. Yeah. And, and that's why I like Discovery so much, because people pissed and moaned about how dark and gritty season one was. And I'm not someone who who leans into dark and gritty all the time, especially in my Star Trek. Mm. But the way the show was representing itself as this side story during a war, I was like, I can go into this because that show has turned into an excellent Star Trek show. I mean, season three of Discovery is one of my favorite Star Trek seasons. I think it's excellent. And I think that show ends in such a way that it hammers in Roddenberry's vision of the future. I think Enterprise, like I, like I said earlier, is, is more of an ill-advised effort. And it's not that the show is bad because it isn't. It's not that the cast is bad because they're not. And the characters are interesting, despite mostly being super racist towards Vulcans. <laughs> I do. I am having a good enough time. And I don't know that many Trek fans have given this show a proper yeah. look-see. Yeah, exactly. I recall, I think I discovered this. Oh, gosh. I think I was working third shift at the time. So I would get home at about. 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning and the wife had already gone to work so to kind of wind down before i'd turn in i believe this was in syndication on sci-fi and so that's where okay. i ended up watching a lot of these i dug sort of the function over fashion element their uniforms have pockets this ship is actually kind of built like a submarine it is it feels very raw like there's not a painted wall on the ship it's all gray and like exposed beams and i kind of dig that i really wish there had been a scene of Archer yelling at Tucker over the intercom and Tucker kind of looking up at what presumably is a speaker, hearing what he's saying, and then just slowly lifting a roll of duct tape and him going, I'll see what I can do. I would have loved yeah. to have seen that. <laughs> I, I, I agree because I mean, even there's no turbo lift. There is a janky elevator mm -hmm. that has stairs right next to it. So why use it? Um, <laughs> that cracked me up. Yeah. And there's no holodeck. They have a chef on board. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's still very much a boat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think when I first discovered this series, I think that was kind of where I was at, where it was, it still, it felt very, like I said before, reachable, a little raw, mm -hmm. a little, you know, rough around the edges. You know, I, I was just watching it strictly for entertainment value. So I did, I wasn't looking at the larger picture of the racism and misogyny that's all over it. But, you know, now being 10 to 15 years older and a little wiser, I hope I'm examining it a little bit more, hopefully with, you know, smarter eyes and seeing the cracks, but still appreciating it as part of the franchise. Speaking of this entry into the franchise, this episode was written by Phyllis Strong and Michael Sussman and was directed. This is another episode directed by Mike Vahar. This is one of those series where it's hard to get there. 
<laughs> at the risk of quoting the theme song, it's a long road getting getting from there to here. You know what's so funny is I was so against the theme song when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of digs itself into your brain. It, it'll get there if you let it. <laughs> and and what's what's funny about that is I, again, I think the, the 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 idea of a Star Trek fan extremely against change is a little unfair, but then I find myself saying, well, I like the fact that all the, the theme songs outside of this one are uniform. Yeah. And again, it goes the idea that this was being sold to a different demographic because this sounds like a song that would have come out in the late 80s or early 90s. And if this was like rolling around with Hercules and Xena, oh, this would have been a, a banger. Yeah, absolutely. A banger. Yeah. <laughs> well, Miles, thank you so much for joining us on the on the episode. I know we've gotten into it and we could probably go for a, a lot longer. And I'm sure yeah, we will I, again. I, I, I know we, we barely talked about the episode. I apologize. Oh, yeah. So if you want to listen to me and my uh, co-host and friend, Drew, Babylon about nerdy stuff every week, you can follow us at themoreyounerd.com. We're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are downloaded, bought, sold. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at The More You Nerd, Facebook, The More You Nerd. We have a web store, themoreyounerd.threadless.com. If you listen to the archive of the first seven or eight years of our show, our format used to be that we would take in listener submitted challenges and objectively review them. Uh, so our, our our whole thing was you know tell us why you love it it's got to be something that can be completed in a week and you know cheap is good free is better folks uh next week got a friend of the show and a fellow podcaster mr justin bishop coming back on the show for enterprise season one episode 10 fortunate son which of course is available on paramount plus thank you miles once again for coming on and Dude, thank you for having me i had a really good time good, sorry good. i I don't want so many random tangents. No, no. I, look, I've already, you've already called dibs on two of the movies. So <laughs> you're definitely coming back on the show. And I have a feeling you're going to be back more than once before <laughs> Enterprise is done. So I, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm happy to come back whenever. Um, awesome. Just give me enough time because if it's 20 episodes later, I, I do kind of want to catch up. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, of course, am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 Ford. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcast at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was done by Will Martin at heyitswill.seo on Instagram. And I'm Kat Davis at that.darn.cat with a K on Instagram. The Computer Resume podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold? The pitch. Your your pitch. Yeah, I've got that pulled up. I forget what it's called. Star Trek Echo. Echo. That's right. Yeah, I've, I actually have. See, I, I I gave you the the pitch, but I had some other flavor like i had a, like some ideas for how i wanted to do some seasonal plots and i had some ideas of of some cast members oh, okay. um 
And because I know I told you because it happens uh, because uh, Lower Decks happens in 2380 and this mm-hmm. is 2398, Brad Boimler could easily appear and Jack Quay could easily play in the older Brad Boimler. <laughs> That'd be really cool. <laughs> well, so I'll ask, do you want to take it and flesh it out and structure it more for, I don't want to say a radio play, but structure it to be consumed? Oh, like make it, like write a script? Yeah. Do you want to convert some of it into a script so that we can do, then do it not entirely like a radio play, but kind of like a radio play? I think that's a cool idea. That might take much longer to work on. Um, I tell but you what, well, I love the idea. I tell you what, if you put it on Google Docs, we can collab. Yeah. I can go through and, you know, do if you just put down some notes, I can probably flesh it out into script format. Yeah, okay. Look, brain dump all of your ideas. And if we can collab together and, you know, just when we have time to... All I'm saying is we can record it tonight, but we don't have to if you want to put a little more into it so that we can make it like um, a radio play. hmm. And... That being said, I think that's a cool idea. If you I mean, you could that could be a separate offshoot if you wanted to do like a a limited series. <laughs> it might be. Well, if you wanted to cast a couple of people, look, you haven't put this much work into it without having a few of those conversations between characters go on in your head. I know there's yeah. at least two or right. three. <laughs> so that being said, if you have someone in mind within our friend circles that could play. <laughs> Let's, let's go ahead. Your let's wife. Go. My wife? Yeah. Uh, well, I well, hold on. What? <laughs> Miles is talking about casting you as a character for Star Trek Echo. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, the script's in development. <laughs> she said she'll decide after she reads the script. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, it's because I've never done a lot of hard sci-fi before. Well, it's been a while since I've written hard sci-fi. Um, so that will be interesting. Let's keep it. If you're okay with doing it, look, Echo is, it's yours. It's, it's right. your baby. It's your, I just want to help it get there. Get Yeah. Um, there. I'm, so I, if you, if you've got, if you want to keep it sort of like basically have a narrator, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, oh, Here's an idea. Take it for what it's worth. Have <laughs> tell the story. That's cool. That way they can uh, kind for, of, for a radio play. That's 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 very cool. Yeah, that might actually work. 